Good morning. Last week I had the opportunity to kind of share about this trip that I went on from St. Louis to Alaska and around, and I told you of how many people that I crossed paths with and how many people I saw, whether it be on a motorcycle or whether it be on a, a motor home or, or something else, but just so many people traveling up that highway, whether it be the Alcan Highway or into Alaska, and so many people uh, driving up uh, through Canada into Alaska, and I, I thought, why are they doing that? Because they see the wonder and the beauty of, of creation. When you see the mountains, and when you see the glaciers, and when you see all of those wonderful things, you, you cannot help but be awestruck about creation. And we know that ultimately God is the creator of all of those wonderful and beautiful things. And then when you think about that, you think about the way that God has chosen to reveal himself to us. That as beautiful as creation is, God comes to us in grace. God comes to us in mercy. God comes to us to change our lives. So when we look at creation and we look at all the wonderful things out there, we're reminded of God's grace and how he truly desires to respond to us. You know, over the summer, we had the opportunity to go through the sermon series that we looked at and called uh, One Word That Will Change Your Life, and it's, it's the idea of grace. And, and I actually ended it before uh, I went on this motorcycle trip because I just wanted to. But the problem is every time I read the Bible, I see another section of, of grace. I'm like, wow, how can I miss that? How can I not teach on that? And there's probably five more passages that I could preach on and teach on that deal with the wonder and the beauty of God's grace. I'm not going to do it unless I find one this next week. But God's grace is incredibly powerful in the way that it changes and transforms us. And so as I was reading and studying, I found another passage on God's grace. And what we understand and know about God's grace is this. It's, it's God's grace is God's unmerited and undeserved favor toward sinful people like you and I because of what he's done in the unique person of Jesus Christ. God gives us grace because he sent Jesus to be a, a, an offering, a sacrifice for our sins. And by the way, grace is incredibly powerful. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? What about if I mention the name of a guy by the name of David Berkowitz? In the early 70s, he was nicknamed the son of San Killer. He held the city of New York in bondage for a long period of time when he killed six people. I found him guilty, put him in jail, and he claims to have become a Christian in jail. Loving as a, do, you, do you believe in God's grace, the power to transform a killer? What about a woman by the name of Carla Faye Tucker? Some of you may remember her. 1983, Carla Faye Tucker helped kill two people in a horrible way. Uh, when the trial uh, went forward, um, she was so animalistic in her behavior that she, uh, it was testified that she, she laughed when she was killing these people. She was found guilty in a prison, thrown into jail. And after a period of time, she came to know Christ as her personal Lord and Savior. And she radically changed. And as she lived in that prison, she lived and served not only Jesus, but other people. Uh, unfortunately, um, because of her uh, uh, conviction, she was sentenced to death. And on uh, February 8, 1998, um, Carla Faye Tucker became the first woman in Texas since the Civil War to be executed. As she lay on the gurney, 
she delivered her final message to those to witness her execution. And this is what she said. I'm going to be face to face with Jesus now. I love you all very much. I'll see you all when you get there. She believed that despite what she had done, she knew that she was going to be face to face with Jesus. Some people would say that's really unfair. You know what? It is. Other people would say there's no way. You don't do those horrendous deeds and see Jesus face to face. That's not what the Bible says about grace. Grace has the incredible power to change our lives. It does not matter how black your sin is. It doesn't matter what you have done. Because of the grace of God, he can radically change our life. He can cleanse us on the inside. No matter how cold-hearted your nature may be, no matter what you have done in your life, no matter the, the, the pain and the suffering that you've gone through, or maybe the pain and the suffering that you have caused another person, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit, because of God's grace, can radically change our lives. From anger, from bitterness, to tenderness and faith. And the Bible and human history is a testimony to God's grace. Let me ask you something. Do you believe more and the power of sin and the bondage that sin can be in a person's life than you do in the power of God's grace to transform an individual? Do you believe that people, some people are forever locked in pain and suffering because of their sin? Or do you believe in the power of God's grace to radically change another person? In the passage that we're going to look at this morning, in Romans chapter 5, verse 20, says this, But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. God, in his grace, is more powerful than our sin. And that's what I invite you to do this morning. I want to invite you to turn your Bible to Romans chapter 15. By the way, the guy who wrote this, the Apostle Paul, the, the gentleman who wrote this was uh, a, a partner in the death of the first Christian martyr, Stephen. He was holding the cloaks of those who were throwing rocks and boulders at Stephen. He was a partner to, to murder, if you will. And he writes about the wonder and the beauty of God's grace. And the way that he does this is he says, there, there's a guy by the name of Adam. We, he's the first Adam. And, and what he did in his sin and his disobedience took the human race on a trajectory to pain and suffering. But there was another Adam who came, the second Adam, and he is Jesus and what Jesus has come to do in his grace and mercy is to reverse the curse, to reverse all of the pain and the suffering that the first Adam created in his disobedience. And so that's what, what Paul does, is he lays out a contract between the one man Adam and the one man Jesus. And he lays them side by side, and it's always going to tip. The scales are always going to tip to the grace and the mercy and the gift that we have in the person of Jesus. Because God's grace is much more powerful than our sin. Hear the word of the Lord from Psalm chapter 5, verse 15. And as I read this, I want you to notice some of the words that are repeated in the contrast that is here. Verse 15 says, But the gift is not like the trespass, for if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. 
but the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if by the trespass of the one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? What's the result? The application consequently Just as one trespass resulted in condemnation to all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification of life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man the many were made righteous, so also through the obedience of the one man the many will be made righteous. The law was brought in so that trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through the righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That is a long, extended text on this comparison, the contrast between the first Adam and the second Adam. And I see as we go through this, as we walk through this, we will see the beauty of who Jesus is and the grace that he's given to us. Father, thank you. Father, thank you that you come to bring us grace. Father, thank you that the the person of Jesus, he was full of grace and truth. Uh, The Bible says that the the first uh, church saw the the glory and the wonder. They beheld the glory of God. And Father, you came and walked upon this earth and you were full of grace and truth. And Father, I pray that as we look at this text this morning, we will see the wonder and the beauty of your grace as you have come to transform us on the inside once again. Father, thank you for your goodness to us. And it's in the name of Jesus, I pray. And all God's people said, amen. So what Paul does is he's writing to the people at Rome and he offers a contrast from uh, with a gift given to us in the person of Jesus with uh, uh, what we actually uh, deserve as a result of our sin. And and there's a contrast in the passage between the one man Adam and and, and the one man Jesus. And what Paul is going to do is Paul is going to say, listen, the, the, the one man Adam, all of that and the sin is over here. But what the one man Jesus did and the gift that we have and the righteousness that we had, so much more beautiful than, than over here. And what he wants us to do is he wants to live in such a way that we're living under the grace of what Christ has done for us. What we know in our passage, based upon the previous verses, is that, that Adam in this passage, he's a, he's a pattern or he's a type. If you look at verse 14, it says this, as did Adam, who was a pattern of the one to come. That means this, that what we know from the book of Genesis, that Adam was introduced to us, and Adam sinned, and he fell, and he became a pattern or a type. He became a pattern of Jesus who would one day come. And so what Paul does is he's going to lay this contrast out. He's going to lay Adam and Paul right next, or Adam and Jesus right next to each other, and he's going to compare and contrast them and what Adam produced and what, what Jesus produces and continues to produce in our lives. Why would, why would Paul do that? Why, why would he offer this comparison, this contrast? I think because sometimes what we do is when we do something like this, we see things a little bit deeper and a little bit broader and a little bit more beautiful, if you will. And so what he wants to do is he wants to lay these two, Adam and Jesus, right next to each other and show the beauty of who Jesus is. Um, let me put a picture on the board here. Here are two motorcycles. Right? The one on the left is very different than the one on the right. But they're, but they're, this, they're motorcycles. They, they do the same thing. They get you from one place to another. But, but the one on the left-hand side is a far different motorcycle. It's built 
in a different way, and it's built for a different purpose. And the one on the, on the right-hand side, it's, it's the same way. It's built for a different purpose. And you use them for different things, different types of writing, different way you would write, how you would carry, how you carry. All of those things are very, very different, but they're the same with regard to being a motorcycle. And I think that's what Paul does. Here. He's going to contrast the, the, the life of Adam on the one side with the life of Jesus on the other side and show us the wonder and the beauty of God's beautiful grace. And we're going to see wonderful qualities of God's grace that comes to us because of what Christ has done for us. It's almost an expansion of our understanding of what Christ had to overcome in order for us to experience the wonderful qualities that he would give to us. So let's just walk through this text and see the wonder and the beauty of God's grace to us. Number one is this, verse 15. Grace is more powerful than our sin. Do you believe that? Look at verse 15. It says, but the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ overflow to many. He's lifting up this idea of, of grace. If you've been around the church for a while, uh, some of you are familiar with the hymn, uh, Grace That Is Greater Than All of Our Sins. Some of you remember that? You know what the, the first stanza goes? First stanza goes like this. Marvelous grace of our loving Lord, grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured, there the blood of the Lamb was spilt. According to the hymn writer, grace exceeds all of our sin and our guilt. And that's why Carla Faye Tucker can say, I'm going to be with Jesus. Because all of my guilt, all of the pain, all of the sin, all of that is covered by the blood of Jesus because I have rested and trusted in his death on the cross. Do you believe that? Some of you may be sitting there going, you know, Clint, you don't know my past. And you don't know what I've done. And you don't know what's hidden inside of my heart. No, you know what? I don't. And you don't know what's inside of my heart. But God knows and God can deal with that. God can remove the stain. God can remove the guilt. God can remove all of that because of what he's done and the unique person of sending Jesus to go to the cross and offer himself as a sacrifice for our sin. And so what Paul does here over and over, he mentions this idea of trespass. Verse 15, verse 16, verse 17, verse 18. Over and over, five times he mentioned this idea of a trespass. Adam brought this trespass upon us. What is the trespass that he's talking about? A trespass is an error. It's a mistake that we've made. It's we've done something wrong. I've done something wrong to violate God's righteous standard. Maybe I've hurt another person. Maybe I spoke against my wife. Maybe I've done something. I have missed the mark with regard to God's holy commands in how to live. And we've all done that, every one of us. I would imagine some of us have even done that this week, that we have missed the mark of what God would have for our lives and how to live. And if you look at verse 19, we're told specifically what specific act, trespass, that Adam was a part of. It says this, for just as through the disobedience of the one man, Adam, we know, Eve disobeyed God. God specifically gave them commands, something to do. Don't do this. And what did they do? They violated God's command. They trespassed against him. And we tend to think, well, you know what? If I was there, I never would have done that. Really? You ever see a two-year-old? A cute, beautiful two-year-old? 
that will bring terror into your life because of the things that they would do? You see, the disobedience wasn't just one act. It was a disposition of the heart. The disposition of the heart is we think we know better than God. That's the disposition. I think I know better than God. All it is is a, is, is a piece of fruit for crying out loud. It's not that big a deal, really. And we constantly disobey God in our hearts, thinking that we absolutely know better than God. And what do we do? We bring trespasses against him because we violate God's righteous standard. And every one of us are guilty of this. Just look around. And what do we see? We see a bunch of people been trapped by sin, but God's grace sets us free. Look at verse 12, Romans chapter 5, verse 12. It says this, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men because all sin. In the context of our spiritual life, we have violated God's righteous standard for our life. Every one of us. And that means we trespass, and that means we are in a place where we have violated God's righteous command, and we are separated from him. And his grace. A trespass was being disobedient to what God would have for our lives. In contrast to Adam's disobedience, is God's gift. It's God's gift. Over and over, verse 15, verse 16, we see the wonder and the beauty that God would give to us in the unique person of God's gift. A gift is something that is freely given to you that you didn't deserve, you didn't earn it. You know, my wife, I don't know if it was this week or last week, re- received a gift from a coworker, And she came home and she told me about it. And I could see her face. I could see that she truly appreciated this gift because somebody else was looking at her and thinking that she was doing a good job. And that's what a gift is. It's something that is absolutely freely given to us. And what you and I have been given is the gift of God's grace and the unique person of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 15 again. 15 tells us about the wonder and the beauty of God's grace. But the gift is not like the trespass, for if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man. The the gift of God's grace is so much more powerful than our sin. That is why Jesus could tell the thief on the cross, Today you will be with me in paradise. Why? Because God's grace is greater than that man's sin. When that man acknowledged that he needed a Savior, God's grace was imparted to him, and he was able to receive God's wonderful, bountiful gift of salvation and enter into paradise because of what Jesus was doing on the cross. In order for us to understand probably the depth and maybe the implications of this contrast between this this trespass and this gift. What Paul does is he goes through and he, and he extrapolates, if you will, what God's grace had to overcome in order for us to understand and know about what he has done for us. Do you realize that every aspect of our life has been touched by trespasses and sin? Theologians call this original sin. Every aspect of our personal lives, our relationship, our world, has been touched by this idea of original sin, plant life, animal life. Romans chapter 8 talks about creation groaning, waiting for creation to be restored through God's grace when Jesus will one day come again. And though you and I have lived in this idea of, of rebellion against God, God's grace continues to come to us 
in a wonderful and beautiful way and transform and change our lives. Notice what the gift of God, God's grace, had to overcome in this text. Verse 15, it says, the many died. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says this, that as in Adam all died. This is Romans chapter 6, verse 23, where it says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. In other words, because of our sin, we deserve death, and there is this propensity for us to continue to rebel against God, not only in our physical, but our mental. All of us have this propensity to rebel against God and His grace. Look at verse 16, it says, Judgment followed the one sin and brought condemnation. What did the trespass of Adam bring? It says this, it brought judgment and condemnation. Adam knew that he was going to be judged for his rebellion and sin, and that brought condemnation against him. Did you realize that one day because of our trespasses and sin, if you're not in Christ, you will face judgment for God? Hebrews 9 says this, It is appointed for man to die once, and after this comes judgment. You and I will one day stand before a holy God and give an account for our lives. Let me ask you, how do you want to beat Jesus? Do you want to meet him as your judge, or do you want to meet him as your savior? I want to meet him as my savior, who cleanses me and washes me of our sin. Because God's grace covers all of my trespasses. It covers death. It covers judgment. It covers condemnation. Look at verse 17. The trespass of the one man, death reigns, and death continues to reign. Verse 18. The result of the one trespass was condemnation. We are guilty before a holy God for violating his righteous standards for our lives. And what God does is he sends Jesus to go to the cross and remove all of the pain and the suffering and the sin of our life. Look at verse 21. Sin reigned into death. Do you realize that the last enemy to be destroyed is death? When you look at this passage, what Paul simply does is this. He says, I want you to know and understand and recognize the horror of sin. You know, this guy by the name of Paul Tripp, and a couple of months ago, before I left, he wrote a blog. His blog comes out on Wednesday night, and he wrote a blog, and he, he asked the question, do you know what the, the most neglected doctrine in the Bible is? And I began to think through, and I'm wondering, what is it this, is it this? And according to him, it was this idea of sin, that we've lost the concept that we are separated from a holy God because of our sin. And what Paul simply does is he walks through and he reminds us of what trespass looks like. He reminds us what sin looks like. And he says, by the way, God's grace and the gift that has been given you in the unique person of Jesus Christ covers all of that. It covers the horror of every kind of sin that you can think or imagine. If we will look to and trust Jesus for who he is and what he's done for us. In contrast to the sin nature that unfortunately lies deep within inside of us is this offer of God's free gift of salvation. The gift that came by the grace of the one man. Notice what it says. God has given you and I a beautiful, wonderful gift, this gift of righteousness, by simply reaching out and embracing who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Let me ask you something. Do you see your life bound up in Adam? And who he is and what he's... Are, are you living in that constant fear, thought of, of Adam? Or are you living in what Christ has done for you in your life 
because of his grace and because of his mercy, because he's radically changed you on the inside. See, what Paul talks about here is a gift of righteousness in verse 17. The gift of righteousness, Jesus being who he is, the righteous one who went to the cross and offered himself as a sacrifice for us and has given us his very righteousness. He's imputed to us, Romans chapter 3, the righteousness of himself to us because of his death on the cross. How did that come about? It says that it came about in verse 19 because of the obedience of Jesus. Jesus was obedient. Adam was disobedient, and he brought sin into the world. Jesus was absolutely obedient, and what did he brought? He brought this gift of righteousness. He brought grace into our life. He brought an entirely new way of living under the umbrella of God's grace. Let me ask you something. When he talks about the gift of righteousness in verse 19, what, what, do, you, what, what do you think he's talking about? He, he refers to the, the obedience of Jesus. The obedience of Jesus in this gift of righteousness. What, what do you think he's talking about? Do you think he's talking about one act? Or do you think he's talking about the totality of Jesus' life and the way that he lived his life from beginning to end? Is the obedience of Jesus in contrast to the trespass of Adam, is the obedience of Jesus at the temptation where we see that? Could it be the obedience of Jesus as he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane? Not my will, but your will be done, God. Is it the obedience when he's betrayed by Judas and the mob took him away? Is it the obedience when he's interrogated by the religious leaders and he gives up the good confession before Pilate? Is it the obedience when the crown of thorns is, is just placed upon his head in, in uh, fulfillment of Isaiah chapter 53 when he's mocked, he's beaten, he's spit upon? Is it the obedience when he's nailed to the cross? Is it the obedience when he spoke love to his enemies when he spoke these words, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing? Is it the obedience of offering himself, offering his spirit up to God? Into your hands I commit my spirit. Is it any of those types of Acts of obedience or the totality of the life of Jesus who is the righteous one who came to live and offer himself as a sacrifice for sin. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 10 says this. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Why did Jesus go to the cross? Jesus went to the cross offered himself as a sacrifice for sin so that we might experience the wonder and the beauty of God's grace. And God's grace is more powerful than any of our sin. All we need to do is to acknowledge who he is, what he's done for us, and the death on the cross, that his death would cover my sin. And we will experience the wonder and the beauty of God's freedom on the inside. So number one, grace is more powerful than your sin. Number two, grace eliminates the penalty of our sin. Look at verse 16. Again, the gift is not like the result of the one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. But the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. If Adam disobeyed the specific instructions of God... And his sin nature was passed on to every one of us. What is the natural consequence of that sin and rebellion? Judgment and condemnation, right? Don't we deserve to experience judgment and condemnation? I experienced this growing up. 
I mean, I was one of five children. My mom and dad gave us certain things to do in life and how to live and certain things that we needed to disobey. We, we needed to do and not disobey with them. And when I did disobey those types of things, what happened? Well, I would, I would experience the punishment. Not because they didn't like me. Not because they wanted to hurt me. Because they wanted to shape my character. They wanted to know that there is a right way of living. And what God says to us is that we, because of the trespasses, the sin that we have gone through, we deserve judgment and condemnation. And what Paul says is this, the wonder and the beauty of God's gift, it covers your trespasses, and it covers judgment, and it covers all of your sin. It says at the end of verse 16, the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. In other words, not just one sin, not just the act of disobedience of Adam, but all of our sin. Whatever you're hanging on to deep inside of your heart, whatever you have done, no matter how bad that sin is, God's grace and God's mercy covers it if you will reach out and trust what he has done for us. And by the way, notice he uses the word justification. That is a legal term, meaning you're declared not guilty. Not guilty. Carla Fay Tucker, in God's court of law, was declared not guilty because of what Christ has done for her. And you and I are declared not guilty because we have been justified by our faith. We imputed the very righteousness of Christ because of what he's done. Paul wrote these words in 2 Corinthians, God made him who had no sin or knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become what? The very righteousness of God very righteousness of God. Do you see that in the people around you? That God has declared them righteous. There's a man by the name of uh, J.C. Riley. He's a, he's a pastor. He's an author. He's a, a writer. And he wrote something very interesting about the gift of God that we've received in Christ. And notice what he says. He says this, who can estimate the value of God's gift when he gave to the world his only begotten son? It is something unspeakable and incomprehensible. It passes man's understanding. Two things that are which man has no arithmetic to reckon and no line to measure. One of these things is the extent to that man's loss who loses his very soul. The other is the extent of God's gift when he gave Christ to sinner. Christ must indeed be exceedingly sinful when the Father needs, I'm sorry, sin must indeed be exceedingly sinful when the Father needs to give His only Son to be the sinner's friend. And that's why we read in verse 15 that God's grace overflows to many. God's grace is powerful. And God's grace covers the penalty for our sin. Because all of my sin and all of your sin has been placed upon Jesus at the cross. I mean, do you believe that? Do you believe that about yourself? And do you believe that about other people? You know, do we harbor ill feelings about other people and maybe the things that they've done, maybe the things that they've done to hurt us? If God's grace can cover them, then God's grace can help us to cover our thoughts and feelings for those who have maybe hurt us. God's grace is powerful. God's grace covers the penalty of our sin. And then look at the conclusion of verse 17. 
For if by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? How much more? You have the Adam, you have the one man, you have the trespasses, you have judgment, you have condemnation, you have all of that in heaven. How much more tips the scales over here, points us to the unique person of Jesus and says, grace reigns in our lives. And what we want to do is we want to be people who allow God's grace to reign in our lives and we want to be people who extend God's grace to other people. Think about it. Son of Sam, Carla Faye Tucker, They did horrific things in violation of God's standard. And God in his grace transforms their lives. And if God in his grace can transform their life, God in his grace can transform my life and he can transform the people around us who are radically different than all of us. Verse 21 culminates, So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through the righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So let me, let me, what's the application for our life here? I want to draw just three brief applications of our life. You know, God's grace is powerful to cover our sin. God's grace is powerful to cover the penalty. God's grace is abundant. What's the application for us? This is the first application, and it's from verse 17. We need to receive God's grace. How much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. We must respond to the grace of God in our lives. He, he, he mentions earlier about the many. When he's talking about us, not everybody is responding to There are some people who are still living in the side of, Evan, of Adam. Judgment is upon their life. Condemnation is upon their life. Sin is upon their life. There's some people living in the one Adam. You and I, because of what Christ has done, we are living in the second Adam and who Jesus is and what he's done for us in our life. But we must respond to that free gift of salvation. Let me ask you, where are you? Are you here or are you here? The Bible invites us to respond to the grace of God by trusting in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus as he cleanses us from all of our sin. And that's the message that you and I need to have be able to proclaim to other people that God's grace can change a life no matter what you've done and how bad it's been. Second application, I believe, is this, that no one is beyond God's grace. No one is beyond God's grace. Uh, years ago, when I'd just become a Christian and I was working at a, 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 like a department store and the store closed, I think, at 10 or 11 o'clock at night and there was a guy there and uh, for probably two or three hours, we sat, we talked about Jesus. He was not a Christian. And we just, for two or three hours, like two in the morning, we talked. And uh, I remember uh, coming to the conclusion that, oh, man, this guy, he's a young guy. I said, this guy is never going to respond to the gospel. There's no way this, this guy's going to change. Well, he got transferred. About six months later, he walked back into the store. And he came up to me and says, I want to tell you something. He says, I became a Christian. And I thought, wow, oh, me of little faith that God's grace cannot transform even the hardest of hearts, if you will. And you and I have the great privilege of living out God's grace to other people in the way that we might respond to the way that we're treated. You know, sometimes people treat us harshly. 
Sometimes people sin against us and we need to deal with that. But God in his grace has radically changed our hearts so that we can respond to other people in a graceful way. And I hope that we will do that. Respond to God's grace today if you haven't. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that in the life of Jesus, we have the the wonder and the beauty of the gift of righteousness. We have the wonder and the beauty of the grace that has so radically transformed our lives. And your grace is so much more powerful than our sin. Father, we thank you for that. Father, we thank you for what you have done for us in the past and how you have cleansed us from all unrighteousness and that you will continue to cleanse us by your grace in your righteousness. And Father, we look forward to the one day when we will be completely clean as we stand before you, conformed to the very image of Jesus Christ. And we thank you for that. Father, I pray that you would help us to be conduits of your grace to our family members to our co-workers, to our neighbors. Father, help us to live out the message of the wonder and the beauty of Jesus who is full of grace and truth. Father, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.